I'm glad he does. Uh, regardless of what time of the night, how dark of the night, uh, I'm, I like the way he put it. He says, you can discover that God works the night shift also. We're reminded by our sister about his providential care. Our Lord was talking about God's providence in our life, going ahead of us, providing for us when he gave us that truth in the Bible. His eyes on the sparrow. I'm glad he's watching over us this evening. I want to come tonight. It's a little different theme than I had this morning, and still it's be a little different than what I sense the Lord already has given direction for tomorrow night and the other nights. But tonight I want to come, and I want you just to look with me. I trust you have turned to our text. It'll be more meaningful. Psalm 46, as many of the psalms are, it's a, it's a psalm with background scripture behind it. Many of the Bible students tells us that this psalm uh, is a celebration of the victory that God gave his ancient people. And uh, the victory is recorded in three different books of the Bible, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and Isaiah. And it was that mighty victory, that marvelous victory that God wrought for his people. And then he had them to write this psalm. And they would come from time to time to build their confidence, to encourage them. And as they celebrated this marvelous victory we're going to read and study about tonight. But I want us here just to look at verse 1 of Psalm 46. He says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. I'm told by those that help me understand the scripture that you wouldn't injure that if you would refer to it as being a very accessible help. He, he is one that you can always get to. He's always available. You don't get a busy signal. You don't get an answering machine. Uh, you don't have voicemail. I mean, he's there. And I'm also told that in the Hebrew language, there was at least 21 words for trouble. Now, there was that people knew trouble. And in one form or another, there was at least 21 words that brought trouble into focus. The most prominent one is the one that's used here, and it's used in our text scripture also. And we'll say more about that in a moment. But I want you to just think with me about one who is accessible. He's a very present help. In trouble. In Isaiah chapter number 37 and verse number 3 brings this truth uh, in focus here. They said to him, that is, they're coming to Isaiah, bringing the report, the word from King Hezekiah. They said to him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble. Same prominent word for trouble that's used back there. This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. That little metaphor is one of the most striking of all the scriptures as far as I'm concerned. When we really begin to see The picture that he is bringing into focus as he uses this little figure of speech, this metaphor. 
the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word tonight. Would you do that with me, please? Change our position. Relax us here a moment. Goes back, oh, what, 3,700 plus years in history. God's Word tells us in the New Testament, these Old Testament stories such as before us was recorded for our admonition, that is, our instruction. God wants to teach us. He's not just telling us this is a fact of history. He wants to say something to our hearts. He's preserved it, recorded it, preserved His Word for us. And tonight He has directed my attention to come in this service to bring this truth before us. So let's just read and ponder Ask him to speak. I want to read a little more scripture than I normally do, but I'm reminded it's more important to hear the Word of God read than it is to hear the preacher's comments about the Word. And so as we read, it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it. You students aware what he's making reference to, Rabshakeh has been, uh, he's brought a blasphemous message from from the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, Rabshakeh, that's not his name. That's just a title, as we would say, a governor or so forth. And uh, he's out there blaspheming. He's belittling God's people, blaspheming God. He's bragging about what this pagan king has done and threatening the people of God. So that's taken place all in chapter 36. And the last line of verse uh, 22 of 36, uh, they went and told him the words of Rabshakeh. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, He rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the house of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, of rebuke, of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there's not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria's master has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I'll send a blast upon him. He shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I'll cause him to fall with the sword in his own land. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he'd heard that he was departed from Lachish. He heard say concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he's come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trusteth deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all of the lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Resef, children of Eden, which was in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of Sabarvaim, Hena and Iva? 
And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwellest between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which is sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their countries and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. God sends a message primarily directed toward these pagans. Even where it's in somewhat it's poetic in form. Even has Israel taunting this wicked king, making fun, referring to herself as the virgin daughter of Israel and belittling this pagan king. And so he does that down through these next verses. And then he directs in his answer, directs these words primarily to King Hezekiah. So let's pick up in verse 33. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's one hundred and eighty-five thousand in one night, one angel. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Let's just remain standing. And Pastor, would you lead us, please, sir, just... And a word of earnest prayer for God's touch tonight. Father, as we do come to you tonight, ask the Lord that our hearts may be attentive to the Word of God. Pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit of God is amongst us tonight. As He speaks to our hearts, Lord, I pray once again that you would speak to our hearts through these two verses. I pray, Lord, as the Word goes forth, as we no longer do this, Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I'm not going to take long this evening. I don't need long to say what I feel God wants me to share with you in this service this evening. I want to focus now primarily in verse number 3. This day is a day of trouble. I got a phone call about 
Well, it's been some time back. Man of God called me. And I was in a meeting and he he said, Brother Hurt, could I come to see you? He's probably at least four or five hours for where I'm preaching. About as far as I am from home tonight. And uh, he said, I, I think I can get there in time to be in the service, but uh, I, uh, I need a little time with you. So he said, if, if you could work it out, I'll need some time. If we could do it after the service or I'll spend the night, I'll get a room. And if we could talk the next day. And uh, he, he simply put it this way. He said, Brother Hurd, I, I'm in trouble. He didn't identify the trouble. He didn't say anything other than just to say that I'm in trouble. He calls me his pastor. He said he introduced me to him when I preached for him. At the, he, he got my tapes when I was pastoring. He, he and I uh, were the same age. We was both saved within uh, the same month. Uh, we both uh, was called into ministry about the same time. I've been preaching for him. Uh, I think when he last time he introduced me, I believe he said it's been the 30th year that I've been coming on a regular basis and preaching for him. He, he's a friend. He's clo- we've been close through these years. I could tell from the tone of voice. I could tell from uh, how he expressed himself to me. Indeed, his burden was very heavy. I prayed about it. I didn't know the nature of the problem. He didn't go in any detail about the trouble. His wife was with him. They traveled that distance. They were in the service, and uh, we met at the motel. They have a conference room, and we went back and sat down and probably spent an hour, hour and a half together that night without going into detail. I'm just leading up to something. I prayed about it. I, I said, Lord, what should I, what should I say to my, my friend, your servant? Uh, he didn't come and ask my opinion. He said to me on the phone, he said, Brother Hurt, I, I told my wife while I was praying about this thing, that he said, that's overwhelming. He said, God said, uh, call Brother Hurt and go talk to him. And he said, Brother Hurt, you, you pray about it before we get there. And he said, I, I, I tell you, after I share with you in detail, he said, I, I'm, I have, he was kind to me. He said, I have confidence in what you tell me that you're going to get a word from God and uh, we're going to follow what you tell us. Now, heavy, heavy hangs over you. You know, when uh, someone has already told you up front they're making a distance to where you're at and, and they're going to do what you tell them and they're going to, you know, uh, take that as God's word. Well, to be honest, I prayed. I prayed rather earnestly. He called me in the morning in my time in the afternoon. I prayed. It's church time, and they've showed up. They wasn't got a room, showed up at church. And I still don't have a word. <laughs> and I remember saying to the Lord before we got, uh, got done uh, with the, about time of getting finished with the service, I said, Lord, if you don't tell me something, I'm just going to tell him I don't know. <laughs> and he'll have to drive all the way back without a word. <laughs> I don't claim to hear God audibly. I'm not suggesting that. But as he started talking to me, the Lord said to say to my needy heart, I'd preached a series of messages. And this was one of them. In the day of trouble. And I entitled my sermon then, Turning to God in the time of trouble. 
And I said to him, I guess what I'm really saying in my title is trust in God in the time of trouble. And he said, I want to. And I said, what's helped me here? Way back here, as I said earlier in this ancient passage of Scripture, where God's people, God's man leading God's people, obviously is overwhelmed in the midst of something, facing something that... And my dear preacher friend has said, Brother Hurt, we've never faced anything like I'm facing. And, and if I make, the, as he put it, the wrong move, if I, if I don't do the right thing about the situation, not only will it impact us personally and, and, and our, our family and our... And he says, it's just, you know, it's far-reaching, the ministry and all. And I said, well, this has been a help to me. Let's look and see what Hezekiah did in his time of trouble. See if we can get something. And how can I say it without being boastful? But I tell you, God came in that conference room. Word of God was seemed to made alive. It's almost like when we was reading it and looking at it and making those suggestions. It's just like the Lord, he come in there on his, himself and, and quicken and making it, I mean, just quickening the word to it. And he said to me something like this later. He said, Brother Hurt, in fact, he introduced me without going in detail about his problem, their trouble. He told his church the next time I was there, my wife and I, he said, drove a distance to hear Brother Hurt preach and shared a burden with him. And, and he turned to God's Word, something that God gave him that fit our situation. And he can't talk about it without just, I mean, overwhelmed with a sense of joy that he said to me, Brother Hurt, your verse, I've heard you quote it through the years, uh, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even think of asking. He said he did it for us through that situation. I may be speaking to someone this evening. Uh, you're in the midst of something that's overwhelming you. In the midst of something, as you think about it, it doesn't look like humanly there's any way out of it. I mean, if you're not having a day like that, hang around. Amen. I mean, they, they, they come. I mean, man born a woman is few days and full of trouble, the Bible says. See, as Joyce said a while ago, tell about a fellow had scripture for someone. Well, I got scripture for that. We don't live long. Man born a woman is just few days. And he said those few days is full of trouble. And God's never promised us that trouble won't come. See, I mean, if you have an idea, a young man said to me some time ago, he'd went through a hard place. He said, Brother Hurt, I'm, I'm longing for the day. And he, and, and he talked about a number of it. I'm longing for that day when none of this happens. And, and I interrupted him and I said, Brother, that's in the next world. Amen. And that's not here. I mean, we can long for it. And, it, and, and we one day will reach there. But that's, you have to get out of this world to, to escape trouble. And God hasn't said trouble won't come. It's various and sundry and it comes. But what he has said, he's a present help, a very present help in time of trouble. And he can manifest himself. He can work in the midst of your difficulty. He can work in your trouble, and he can bring glory to himself, and he can cause you to grow through that. And you later, like my preacher friend, you can bless him for what he did for you. But so what are the steps? What are we to do? There's three movements tonight that I see here. In this story about Hezekiah, when he faced his day of trouble, he said, this is a day of trouble. And that's my first suggestion. Let me just give them to you. I got a note from a preacher who used to get our tapes. And, and when I was in the pastorate and he wrote a note, I don't know him. He's in Pennsylvania. Our tapes went to a lot of different places. And I got a note from him. And, 
and the tape man, he, he read the note. He said, you might ought to see this, Brother, Brother Hurt. said, he's, he's asking, uh, would you do something for him? And he said, dear Brother Hurt, he said, I use your sermons. I hope you don't mind. I use your outlines. And he said, I pro- you approach a text like I do. And he said, I, I get your tape. And as you start your text, he said, I, I, you'll say there's three things or five things or whatever. And he said, I write the top of the page on my note outline. That's five things. But he said, now i got a problem. He said, your tape runs out before you get through. <laughs> and he said, I wind up with three and wondering what's the last two. <laughs> and he said, could I make a request? Would you mind giving your outline first? And then if you got a long sermon or a short tape, whichever, he said, uh, then I'll at least have your outline. <laughs> so I got up that, that next service. I said, for the benefit of a young pastor, he was kind to me in his remarks, and he wants my full outline. So I, I got in the habit of giving the outline. I was preaching somewhere, and, and uh, there's the students there. They were there in school. Some of their students, one of them came up to me after service. I'd give him my outline, and he came up and said, uh, Brother Hurt, could I speak with you? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, homiletics professor, our teacher, told us just a few days ago, you're not supposed to give the outline before you preach. And I said, he's not here tonight, is he? <laughs> and I said, you, I said, don't tell on me. I, I know better, I guess. But uh, uh, if you, but uh, the homiletics teachers, that's what they, they'll tell us how to do it. And the outline is not supposed to be given before, they tell us. But uh, let me break the rules tonight. Let me make these three simple suggestions. The first thing that Hezekiah did that I asked God to help me to do in time of trouble. Let me put it like this. And I put it in a little, just an old homemade outline tonight. The first thing that I, I suggest that he did that I see that helps me. He faced his reality. He's not running from it. He's not denying it. He's not calling it by a different name. See, we'll never get help from God until with honesty and humility we say, Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's the trouble I'm in. Don't blame anybody else. Just with absolute honesty, just call it by its right name. Hezekiah does this, and he does it in a striking way. We'll look at that little metaphor again in a moment that he brings this whole situation into focus. So he faces his reality... Second movement, the second thing he does, he, he, what I'm calling, he focuses on God's sovereignty. He doesn't just look, he's not, he's not occupied just looking at his problem, his, his trouble, his burden. Oh, he took that letter and he went in and spread the thing out before God. But he begins in verse number 16, he says three marvelous things in one verse about who God is and, and, and even more. And his focus is on God's sovereignty. If the, if the word sovereignty bothers you, you might want to write the word down, God's ability. Uh, I get around people sometimes, you use the word sovereignty, and it's it sort of, you know, some folks get a little bothered. I want you to use the word sovereignty. Well, I, I like it myself. I'm glad he's sovereign. Amen. Why it bothers some people? I mean, there's been some folks preaching away, you know. The only sovereigns we've known anything about on earth is some little little Mickey Mouse dictator. And, and you know, and, and they're insecure on the throne. And, and they torture and murder people around them. Earthly sovereigns and dictators so forth. But I tell you, God, he's not insecure on his throne. 
God's on the throne tonight, and He's not concerned about somebody kicking Him off His throne. He was sovereign yesterday, He is today, and He will be tomorrow. He's in total control. I said that one night, and the man came up after service, and he was waiting for me here. And uh, I could tell just by, you know, his demeanor, way he's looking at me. He, <laughs> I saw him, you know, making notes, but he wasn't putting my outline down. Amen. He, and uh, he's going to come up and correct me. And I'm not a smart aleck. I, I stand corrected. And I said to him, if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. I said, if you show me where I made a statement's wrong, I'll tell you what I'll do. You come back tomorrow night, and I'll announce to this audience I'm speaking to that I, I, I didn't get it right. And I said, uh, he said, well, I, I don't agree with what you said. I said, what? He said, I don't agree that God is 100% in control. I said, really? I said, you're a preacher? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, so what do you preach? <laughs> he said, I don't, I don't. He said, you got a lot of questions you can't. Oh, sure, we got questions. We're, I mean, we're limited human beings. We don't have perfect understanding wisdom like God uh, I'm not talking about we we always know what's going on, but he does. And he's in total control. Well, he's still a little brunt with me. I said, well, maybe, I, I, it's interesting to me. I said, I, I got a question for you. I, I said, how much control would you say God has? And he wouldn't comment. <laughs> I said, would you say he's getting 50% control? Oh, he's got more than that, he said. <laughs> I said, is he 75% in control? He said more than that. What about 90? I think he began to see how ridiculous he was. And, and he was, and he wouldn't comment. I said, let's just say God's just 90% in control, and there's 10% he cannot do anything about. What if your problem lies in that, ten, in that 10%? And it's outside, and God said, I'm sorry. I'm in control of all the rest, but that's too big for me. I mean, I just can't handle your problem. No. See, here's Hezekiah who knew God. And he faces his reality. He focuses on God's sovereignty. This third suggestion is probably the bottom line of what I'm going to say in these next few minutes. He's fervent. I mean by that he's wholehearted. He's earnest. He's fervent for God's glory. I mean, this is why he wants God to come through. Verse 20, he said, save us. From his hand, not so we can brag about it, not so people know we're a great group of people. He said, know that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Why do you want God to do what you're asking him to do? See, that's bottom line. I mean, maybe a legitimate thing that we could pray about, but our motive for asking, God may say, no, I can't do it for you because we're falling into the, into the era of the people of James's day. They asked, but they did not receive because they asked amiss. They were wrong in their asking. Could be tonight. You and I want something from God, and we're wanting it for the wrong reason. Our motive is wrong, and He can't do for, what, for us what we're asking Him to do simply because... I mean, we're wanting it for, you know, uh, for various and sundry reasons, perhaps, but not the one reason that God tells us. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it for you, providing, he said, that the Father be glorified in the Son. Trouble. Man born a woman, I, I repeat, man born a woman, God's Word says, is few days, and those few days are full of trouble. What is it tonight that's overwhelming you just ponder 
trouble comes, the various and sundry different ways it reaches us. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, it's emotional. Sometimes it's relational. All troubles, they, they, they're various. They're, they're sundry in, in, in nature. And here is the man of God. Here is King Hezekiah, a good man, godly man. I have great respect for this man, Hezekiah. Have a book like this. That big book just covers the life of Hezekiah. Very insightful book, very helpful book. And here's this good man way back there, and nearly 3,000 years ago on the pages of this book. And he's there to teach us, to instruct us, to help us. And the first thing that I, I get from him, when something is overwhelming me, something is threatening me, I need to face the reality, call it by its right name, and then turn and realize who he is. I read the USA paper daily as a rule when I'm away from home. National papers, you know. And I, some time back, I'd in the motel, they put the... It's different motels I stay in. They'll put the paper at your door. And this particular motel, it's the USA paper, and I was picking it up. I was seated there at the desk that early morning hour, and I was looking at the headlines, and I go to certain areas that I'm interested in, and I went over to this one area, and there's certain columnist that writes in that paper on a weekly basis, and this particular columnist, I, I, I looked at his column to see what he was talking about, and I saw the picture of now the late uh, Peter Jennings, ABC News, nightly news anchor Peter Jennings. Uh, I, saw, I saw his picture as before his death. As you know, Mr. Jennings died a few months ago. And uh, this uh, columnist, uh, when I saw Peter Jennings' picture there at the top of his article, I, that immediately got my attention, and, and I wondered what, uh, what he had to say about Mr. Jennings and his article. And here's what he said. He said, I admire... Uh, the courage of Mr. Peter Jennings facing his reality. He'd gone public and said that he had uh, lung cancer. Uh, some of you perhaps saw him. I saw him the night that he did that with a raspy voice, a weak voice. said, I'll be leaving you for a little while and, and going for treatment and I have lung cancer. This man, by the, by the uh, name of Goldberg, he, he, he said... Uh, he, he faced his reality with courage, and then he said, I didn't do as well. And then he said to his readers about how he too was living with life-threatening cancer. I think since then he's died. And uh, he said, when I was diagnosed with cancer, he said, I did not have the courage to face it as Peter Jennings apparently is courageously facing his reality. He used the word over and over. He said, I was, went through a different uh, number of different moods. He said, first denial, bitterness, anger. He then said, I now have come to the place that I too can somewhat talk about it publicly and I can face it and cope a little better. He didn't tell how he got there. He didn't tell what it was that brought him from his anger and his resentment and his bitterness to what he now says, I can talk about it and face it with the, some a measure of reality. He didn't say anything about faith, whether he was a believer. He didn't say that. His name indicates he's Jewish, but he didn't say anything whether he had faith in God or not. But that got my attention. I sat there and thought about it. 
I'll just be honest. I, I not only just wondered and pondered. I, I, when I'm reading, and I, I, the Lord's presence was real, uh, as I was just reading that article, the reality of something so sobering, and I found myself saying, wonder what how I'd face it. I know how I would want to do it, but I, I'm not going to stand here arrogantly and say, you know, man, I know what I'd do. I mean, see, that's we're talking about realities in life. It's not a week goes past. There's calls. My wife told me that there's calls comes in because I meet people all over the country. I belong to a couple of prayer chains and, and, and groups that pray and they pass words around. Not a week of my life. I don't get a number of calls. And I tell you, devastating experiences. And I mean, a lot of them have come rather suddenly. And they're asking, preacher, pray. Put this person on the list. Would you pray? Recently the other day, would you pray for our baby? Diagnosed with something. Doctor says it's going to take an absolute miracle. Are you listening? How do we face reality? The realities of life. Well, here's a man. I repeat, he brings it into focus in a striking way. When he said, uh, the baby, it's time for the birth of the baby. And this prophet, he says... He said, there's not strength to bring forth. I expect uh, mothers in this room could probably relate to that perhaps better than others. I mean, here's the, it's, it's time. The baby, the baby is due. And yet, uh, the picture that he's painting here is one that J. Alexander, an old-timer, in his comments on this, Dr. Alexander, he says, this metaphor, listen, it's expressive of extreme pain, imminent danger, critical emergency, utter weakness, and entire dependence on the help of another. And yet, here's this man of God not minimizing his problem, not failing to face the situation. He looks it square in the face, and I repeat, uses a metaphor that says, Oh, we're in trouble it's an emergency for us. You know anything about this ruthless army that's out there threatening? And indeed, he's going to say to God a little bit later, he said, Lord, in fact, they did. He, he's told the truth. They've conquered all those nations. They've destroyed these people, God. And they've burned their gods in the fire, Lord. But he said, they're not really gods. But the fact is, he's not lying about that. They have done that. And they're just right outside the city. And here's the man of God. Going to, or here's the king sending a message to the man of God who would go to God on behalf of him and saying, let me just tell you, here's the way we picture and view our situation. The baby is at the birth and the mother's helpless. No strength. Oh, I, I, I repeat, I said the other day, I said, what would you do? I mean, mothers, that said, and there was a couple of sitting about where Brother Jeff and his, his family is here tonight, and it was obvious the baby's doing a little while. And I said, what would you do? She spoke back. She said, I'd scream. That's what I'd do. <laughs> well, she had another little beside of her. I guess she's known from experience, you know. Man, time like that, you're so helpless, you're so weak. Well, the, the situation, it, it appears here that, I mean, you know, he, he, he's saying, you know, at, at that time, I mean, it's something that, that has to be dealt with. I mean, when that, when that situation takes place, you can't say, well, I, I was hoping it's going to be born in the next month, and I think I'll wait a few days. No, you don't put that off. 
We have three children. We were talking today. We was reminiscing and getting, you know, bringing back in focus our family members and and, and uh, our three children. I can hardly believe they seem like yesterday. They're like these little ones here. And we got one, what, 40, 45 we, we'll be. We got one that's 43. We got one that's, uh, let's see, 45, 42. We got one 39. Becky, our baby. She came to hear me preach not long ago, and I said, it's good to hear, have Becky, our baby, with us. And after service, she said, Dad, I, I appreciate those kind words you said, but said, why don't you knock that baby stuff off? <laughs> Great day. He said, a long time ago since I was a baby, but uh, there's three years difference. We'd been to church this Thursday night. Our midweek was Thursday. Joe, Josephine, my wife, she said, uh, uh, I think I better stay home tonight. I said, really? She said, yeah. I, uh, I said, well, do I need to call and stay here? Well, you know, she said, we had the neighbor right next door was, you know, there. And, oh, we already checked. She's there here. We, we was in five minutes or so of a hospital where we're going. And, and no, I mean, you, you just go on to this midweek service, take the boys. And so we did. And, and you'll have to bear with me a moment to see where I'm going with this. And, but that's back in the days, what was it, 39 years ago, there wasn't any McDonald's or Burger Kings or about the only thing we had around us was White Castle. We had a White Castle between church, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I agree, they were all right, Bob said. <laughs> and uh, uh, our youngest, Paul, he really picked up on things. Paul was just three-year-old, but he had said to his brother, he, he said, if Dad gets happy while he's preaching, he'll stop and buy you anything you want on the way home. <laughs> but said, if he don't get happy, he won't stop anywhere. He just drives right on by. <laughs> I don't think it's hardly that bad, but uh, I must have got happy. We stopped at White Castle, and the boys, they ran in and got what they needed, and, and uh, they came right back out, uh, Paul right in with, with, his, with his brother, and they, they came back, and, Dad, we got you this, and we got Mom, her, uh, we got her three White Castles, and they had theirs, and, and we were home in a few minutes, and they'd jump out with their bag and take off in the house, and and, boy, he meets me back on the porch and has a startled expression. Dad, something wrong with Mom. Uh, said she's got a suitcase that's right there at the door. And said, tell you, get in quick as you could. <laughs> and said, I told her we got White Castles. She said she don't want no White Castles. <laughs> you get my point? It's time for the baby. Mama don't want no White Castle time like that. See, that's the, that's the picture he's painting. The imminency of it. I mean, it's urgent. And he's going to get help from God because he doesn't play it down. He doesn't call it by another name. I mean, he realizes, man, I have a problem. We're in trouble. And there's no way out. God, we need some help from you. And so the second, and I just mentioned it, and then I close with the last one. Second thing he does, faces his reality. He focuses on God's sovereignty. One verse. Look how he does it. Now, he takes that letter, and he receives the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it, and he spread it before the Lord. He left it there. He left the contents of it, and he left concern for it. He just spread the whole thing out there and starts talking to God. Lord of hosts, in verse 16, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubim. You students know what the picture he's painting. Those cherubims looking over that mercy seat, that's, that's, that's the throne of God. That's, his, that's the place, the earthly throne. That's where God dwells, if you please. 
That's the sovereign God. That's the God in control. And they're looking down on that mercy seat. And he's picturing that. And he said, Thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. And he prays a bold prayer. Incline thine ear, O Lord. Hear, open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Come and hear what this wicked king is, uh, Sennacherib. He's reproaching the living God. And then he, he, he admits a truth here in verse 18. I repeat, he said, I have a truth, Lord. Kings of Assyria, they've laid waste all the nations in their countries. They've cast their gods into the fire, but they were no gods. They work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. See, he's doing something that I ask God to help me to do when I'm overwhelmed with something that's too big for me. It's not just focus on my problem all the time, but look beyond that and realize there's someone in total control tonight. And he's in control of your situation. That's not baffling him. That's not overwhelming him. And they're seeing here these these gods, so-called Hezekiah's bowl. He says to this living, true and living God, our God, he said these so-called gods, they were not gods. That's why they destroyed them. They were works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they've destroyed them. I was reading this afternoon in the book of First Samuel. God's people in that day, they'd gotten in disgrace and God took his presence, let his presence be taken away. And the pagans, those Philistines, took the Ark of the Covenant uh, as a symbol of God's presence with his people. I mean, God actually let his presence be removed. And these pagans took him and took his presence, took that ark, and they placed the presence of God over there in the temple, the house of their so-called God, and his name was Dagon. And they took God, the little God, and and took Israel's God and placed him in that same house right beside of their God. And the next morning they opened the door and you know what happened? Their so-called God had fallen over on his face. Dagon. Well, they, they set him up. I read that and I made a little, little, little note there. Set him up. I said, Lord, I'm glad I don't have to get up in the morning and prop you up. Amen. <laughs> have a God. You have to. You wonder if he fell on his face last night. And, and they set him up again. And the next morning they opened the door and listened to what was going on the next morning. And said, uh, and when they rose early on the morning, behold, Dagon was fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Broke his head off, broke his arms off, and there just laid his stump. Someone said, an old boy looked in there and said, Daggone. <laughs> well, he's gone all right, amen. These so-called gods, and sometimes people lean on them and try to trust them, and they, they're not gods. I close by saying this. What did he do that we ought to do? He faced his reality. He focuses on God's sovereignty, that God is in control. And then he's fervent for God's glory. Why do you want God to answer your prayer? Would you just think with me in these closing moments? And said to me just recently, it was my phone call, and he is emotional about it. He's diagnosed with a physical condition that if God don't help him, he's got just a little while to live. And we prayed. He said, before you pray, let me just say this, Brother Hurt. Uh, 
I want His will to be my will. One prayed with a brother last week. He's been diagnosed just recently with inoperable cancer. Doctors have told him that uh, something don't get if he don't get some help beyond them, he, my brother can't last long. Lung cancer uh, already cut off his ability to swallow. Uh, he can't even swallow water. They put a feeding tube in, and uh, I prayed with him. And Harold said, before you pray, he said, I know he's able and I want to live. But if he takes me, pray that God will get glory through my home going. I said, God bless you, brother. He's one that's really helped me find the way before I, when I came to the Lord. Ten years my senior. Are you listening tonight? Why do you want God? You say, Brother Hurt, we're in trouble. Ah, well, that's a legitimate prayer request and a time to pray. But why do you want God to solve the problem, meet the need, and get us out of that? Is it that we want His will? Is it that we want Him to get the glory? Or do we have an agenda? Something we want to promote ourselves in. Something that we want independent of God's will and God's glory. Oh, listen, here's a man who comes right to the point and he said, Lord, save us that the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Would you stand with me, please, all over the room? Trust in God in the day of trouble. Turn into God in the time of trouble. Hezekiah is our teacher tonight. He faced the reality of his trouble. He focused on the sovereignty of God in his trouble. And he was fervent for God's glory in the midst of that troublesome time. And my, did God get glory. And we all these years later reading about it and learning from it tonight. All over the room, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. A number of us came this morning. We talked to God here. We talked about his love. You want to slip out tonight? Maybe a family wants to come together. You'll just slip out and round the front here tonight. You just want to come and just kneel and talk to God. While we wait here just a moment, some are talking to Him. You want to join us? Just come on. I'm going to join up. My part's over. And the pastor will be here in just a moment. Message, the kind of message tonight. It's not in the revival theme necessarily. It's just talking to us about encouragement and help in the midst of our troubles and trials and the things that happen to us in life. What to do in a time like that. You want to come just kneel here? Some of them are doing it. You want to join us? The pastor's coming. Don't miss God tonight. Our Father, make it easy for us to say yes to Thee. Help us to learn from Your truth tonight. And we're grateful, Lord, that we can, we can focus on the sovereignty, the ability, the power of our God, one who is able. We bless You for that. And Lord, give us, the, give us the grace to set out to let you have glory and praise through every situation. We need help, Lord. Please help us tonight. Pastor's coming. Don't miss God tonight. Folks are still coming. You don't just slip out and meet us. You're, you're here tonight. and, and you, you may be a guest with us, but no one will embarrass you. They won't put you on the spot. You just want to come talk to God while we wait. Come on. Pastor's taking the service.